Cool, should we pray together? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, Father, with that wonderful truth in mind, we pray that the word of God would penetrate our hearts through this series in the book of Philippians, that you would expose our hearts for what they are, that you would show us Jesus for who he is, and that you might build us up and encourage us to be more fruitful disciples for you. To the glory and honor for his name we pray. Amen. Um, we're looking at this series then in the book of Philippians. It's a wonderful letter. Uh, I use it an awful lot in um, uh, Christian discipleship uh, and have taught through different parts of it, but never in a kind of series uh, top to bottom. So it's a wonderful thing, I think, to be able to come to this series together. And we're going to look at it over the next six weeks. Uh, if you could just move on a slide, please, Daniel. Uh, I'll just show you where we're going to go the next. Fantastic, there we go. What should the Christian life look like? I guess there are lots of different ways of approaching the book of Philippians, but this is what we're going to be looking at. Thank you. This is what we're going to be looking at over the next six weeks. If you were to summarize the book of Philippians, perhaps you could summarize it as an example of this. Selfless, humble witnesses focused on living for God's glory. Um, I hope and pray that that's what you would want for your own life. Do you want to be a selfless, humble witness focused on living for God's glory? Um, I do, and I pray you do. So let's encourage each other with this. And each week, we're just going to be looking at a different part of this phrase, because as we go journey through the book of Philippians, these phrases will become evident. So today, we're going to really just think about what it means to live a selfless life. Uh, just in terms of context, remember where we are. Uh, the Philippian church was uh, planted first in AD 48. Can anyone tell me which of Paul's three missionary journeys that was? Let's see how awake we all are. One, two, or three. Not the first one, the second one, there we go. So it's the second missionary journey, but the, it, during which it was the first time that the gospel gets into Europe. Philippi is in northern Greece, and it was during Paul's second missionary journey with uh, Timothy and Silas that the gospel first got into northern Greece, to this place called Philippi. And the church had been now going for about 13 years, so you could perhaps call it an established church plant. And Paul writes this letter from prison. And all the way through this series, don't forget where he is, because what he says is made all the more extraordinary because of where he is. Paul's in prison. Terrible situation to be in. And yet, you see, modeled in his life and the way that he speaks, the way he writes, this beauty, the beauty of the kind of freedom of self-forgetfulness. The beauty of living a selfless life. Now, if you think for a moment, maybe, of a Christian that you admire who sets a godly example to you. I'd be surprised if that individual wasn't someone who was selfless, because there's something wonderfully beautiful, isn't there, about living a life not for self, but for others. And selflessness is indeed a, a gospel attribute, and we're going to be thinking about that. So tonight we're going to be thinking about four things we see uh, modeled in the example of Paul that help us to learn what it looks like to live selfless lives. And here's the first one. Oh, there's our little map. Uh, the second missionary journey. So you can see up at the top there um, where Paul took the gospel with his friends to Philippi during that second journey. Well, the first thing we see here is Paul's selfless identity. You see, come back to verse 1. Paul and Timothy. So Paul's in prison. He's writing. He's also writing on behalf of Timothy, who was one of his traveling companions during this second missionary journey. Uh, And if you flick forward to Philippians chapter 2, you get a little description of this man, Timothy. uh, Chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. Uh, Timothy is a proven disciple. He's a younger man than Paul, but he's a proven disciple. And Paul writes, 
uh, on behalf of Timothy to this church which together they planted back in Philippi. And do you notice how they introduce themselves? Servants of Christ Jesus, literally slaves. It's this idea of being bound to someone. Paul and Timothy, slaves or bound to Jesus. And their whole identity, who they are, is wrapped up in who he is. They belong to him. And we'll come back to that. And then notice who Paul writes to. He's writing to all God's holy people. That's just a description of Christian believers in the church, in Christ Jesus at Philippi. And you'll remember, perhaps if you can remember the story in Acts chapter 16, during that missionary journey, the first three people to form this new little church plant was Lydia, the wealthy woman from Thyatira who dealt in purple cloth, the slave girl, and the jailer. They were the first three people who formed this church. And 13 years on, this church has grown by the grace of God. Others have been added to that number, and Paul's addressing them here. But don't you think it's astonishing that when Paul explains who he is, as he writes to this church for the sake perhaps of those who weren't there at the beginning when the church was planted, his identity and the identity of his traveling companion Timothy is not bound up in the fact that they were great disciples and apostles. It wasn't Paul and Timothy, the great evangelists, the people who first set up this church. Paul and Timothy, the former pastors of this church. Notice their identity is bound up not in what they have done, but simply in who they belong to. It's interesting as well, isn't it, that the defining factor in Paul's life is not his imprisonment. If you were writing a letter... And you were in prison. I suspect in one of the opening lines, if it was me, it would be exactly the same. I'd say something about my situation. I want to remind people where I am. But Paul doesn't do that. He comes to that later. But to start with, his whole identity is rooted and built up, not in his personal situation or what he has done or what he wants to do, but his identity is bound up in who Jesus Christ is. Do you notice that our identity as Christians is something that is given to us? They are servants of Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who has rescued them and called them to this work. And do you notice too that identity is relational? If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus won you for himself. He didn't just win you. He won you for himself. He won you that you might know him and grow in a love with him. And I think so often our identity becomes very functional, doesn't it? Who I am is what I do. But true Christian identity has got nothing to do with what I do. True Christian identity is all to do with to whom I belong. And the wonderful thing we see here with the Apostle Paul is that is what defines him. Forget his circumstance. Forget the church he planted or the other churches that he wants to be with. Who is Paul? He's a servant of Jesus. I often come up short when I'm singing hymns and songs because I feel deep in my heart that it's easy to sing songs. But do I really live the truth that I sing? Here's one that we sing all the time. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. A little question for you to reflect on. Is your joy, your strength and your identity found primarily in Christ? And we go on and sing, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Worth asking ourselves, is our identity secure no matter what our circumstance? My feelings might go up and down, but who I am doesn't change because of who Christ is. And we sing, what heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. 
Worth asking, isn't it? Does knowing Christ replace our fears and strivings with joy and peace? And then we finish in one of the, the verses. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Worth asking ourselves, is our strength the power of God's spirit living in us? Rather than personal strength or ability. So I'd love you just to pause and just ask yourself that question. Where is your identity tonight? If someone said, who are you? Is your identity primarily bound up in who Jesus is and the fact that if you're a Christian, you belong to him? Something I forget all the time, and I suspect we all do. But we see in the Apostle Paul this wonderful example of one who had a selfless identity. Not an identity that was won through what he did, but an identity that was given through what Christ had done for him. And then notice what flows from a selfless identity a selfless concern. If you were to look around the room here at a Christian brother or sister, perhaps the person who's sitting next to you, ask yourself this question. What do you think is the single most effective way of having a consistent concern for the person who sits next to you? What do you think is the single most effective way of having a consistent concern? I think perhaps it could be thankfulness. Isn't it easy to come into church and sit next to someone? Perhaps a friend, perhaps a stranger, perhaps someone you know as an acquaintance. And we sit next to them because they're people who come to our church. But how different might it be if we sat down next to the person we sat down next to on a Sunday and our first thought was to be thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ for the person that we're sitting next to right now. Notice how Paul expresses this thankfulness in an incredible selfless concern for these Christians in Philippi. Notice what he says in verse 2. Grace and peace. And where does grace and peace come from? It comes from our God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way we can offer grace and peace to another is because we first received it. But do you see in verse 2, what's the extraordinary little phrase? And remember where Paul is when he says this. Grace and peace to what? To whom? You. Who do you think needs to know grace and peace the most? Perhaps you say Paul. Paul who's in prison. He needs to know the grace of God to sustain him. He needs to know the peace of God to sustain him. The very person who needs to know the grace and peace of God is the one who's offering it to this other church. Paul's selfless concern for this church in Philippi leads him to pray for them to know the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on, doesn't it? Verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, when you drive around Long Crendon or Haddenham or Tame or wherever you live, perhaps you drive past the house of someone uh, from church that you know. Is your heart drawn to be thankful for them? Thankful for that brother and sister in Christ? And he goes on in verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There's an incredible warmth to that, isn't there? I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Is that the way that you think of the person who's sitting next to you tonight? Whether they're a best friend, an acquaintance, or even a stranger. And so a few questions to reflect on as we think about our prayer life. Um, How thankful are you in your prayer life? Here's just a few suggestions of ways to cultivate greater thankfulness in our prayer life. It's easy to be thankful perhaps for things when we pray. But first of all, are we thankful for the fact that we can pray? 
I'll be thankful for the access that we have to God in prayer. Any time, day or night. God's never too busy for you. He'll always hear your voice. Are we thankful for the gift of life? Just the gift of life. Our heart is only beating because God, by his spirit, is giving us life. Are we thankful for God's incredible patience with us? I mucked up yesterday and the day before and the day before that. I'll muck up tomorrow. God is incredibly patient and gracious to me and I'm sure he is to you. What an amazing thing to be thankful for. Lord, thank you for how patient you are with me. We prayed this morning thanking God for daily blessings, things it's so easy to take for granted. Our home, a roof over our head, a bed to sleep in, a dishwasher to stack perhaps, food in the fridge, our family, other people. Relationships matter to us, don't they? And there's so much to be thankful for in our relationships. But specifically here, where Paul's talking about having this selfless, or displaying this selfless concern for the church in Philippi, specifically, what is he thankful for? Come back to verse 4. In all my prayers for all of you, he writes, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. If you want a a summary verse for the book of Philippians, I reckon it's Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Confident of this, that he who began a good work will bring it through to completion. Isn't it wonderful here that Paul talks about this confidence that what God has begun, he will complete. Paul, by the grace of God, planted this church in Philippi, and then Paul left, and now he's in prison. But the wonderful thing is that the church in Philippi won't keep going because Paul was great. The church in Philippi kept going because God started something in the hearts of Lydia and in the slave girl and in the jailer. And what he started, he promises to complete. Do you notice in there as well that that word began? Confident of this, that he who began in the original, that word is a word that speaks of a kind of deliberate, decisive act. Uh, Rather like when a sperm and an egg meet for the first time at conception and life begins. When God, by his spirit, touches our heart and his spirit connects with our spirit, he begins something. So if you're a Christian, you never fell into being a Christian. You never stumbled into the Christian faith. We all have a different story. We've all been on a different journey. But there there was a point, and for most of us, it probably wasn't a point that we can pinpoint where God turned on the switch and started something in our life. And it was a decisive moment when he did that. And we read wonderfully here that what he began, he will complete, which makes you and me works in progress, which is a pretty good thing, because there's a lot of work and progress to continue. But he goes on to explain he's confident that what God has begun he will complete. But he talks, do you notice there in the middle of verse 6 about a good work? Well, what is this good work that God by his spirit has begun in our lives and promises to complete in our lives? Well, come to verse 9, which Neil prayed earlier. We get a clue. Paul says this, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. And then come to the end of verse 11. What's the purpose of your love abounding more and more? 
it's to the glory and praise of God. See, what was this Paul's number one desire and concern for these Philippians? It's that the work that God has begun in sowing that seed of faith in their heart and that work that one day he will complete, his greatest goal is that their love for Jesus Christ would abound more and more. And what happens when your love for Christ abounds more and more? Your life more and more lives to the glory and praise of God. See, why were you created? You weren't created to be rescued by God. You were created to be rescued to know him and to grow to love him more and more. That's why many of you who are older in the church are a great example to me and an encouragement. And I want to love Jesus when I'm your age like you love him because his love has overflowed in your life and it's abounding more and more as your life goes on and you're a great example and we need to pray that for each other and do you see how your love for jesus will abound more and more we get a little process that comes from verse nine it starts with knowledge we learn who he is we learn what he's done for us that knowledge verse 10 leads us to be able to discern what is best it leads to wisdom knowledge leads to wisdom and wisdom wise living leads to living a pure and blameless life, godliness. And so do you see how the whole process works? God has begun a good work and he will complete it. And what is that work that he does? He prays that our love for Christ would abound more and more. How? Because we grow in knowledge of what he's done for us. Because we grow in wisdom. And that wisdom leads to a growth in godliness. And the growth in godliness, becoming more like Christ leads to glory and praise to God because you and I were created in his image and you were created to be like him don't you think it's astonishing that the good work that the spirit of God is doing in these Philippians matters to Paul more than the bad work being done to him in prison he's more concerned with their growth in godliness and their Christian growth than he is in his own circumstance and situation what a rebuke and challenge that is sometimes to us. I know we will all go through times in life where we're struggling and when we're feeling heavy laden and burdened. And yet, it's even in that burden, it's even in the pain of life where we're called to have a selfless concern for others. And it's when we have a legitimate desire or concern with self that actually it's through that that we serve and bless others. That has a profound impact, doesn't it? Paul is more concerned with the good work that is being done in them than he is with the bad work, as it were, that's being done to him in prison. So a few questions for you to reflect on as you think about the extent of your concern for brothers and sisters in the church. Let's ask ourselves, does the grace and peace of God abound in our relationships with others at LCBC? Perhaps there's a person here where there's a bit of a frosty relationship where we need to seek forgiveness or work harder at a relationship that's difficult. Um, perhaps go back to the uncomfortable series, listen again to uncomfortable relationships. We need to work at loving each other. Uh, very simple question. Let's ask ourselves, are we thankful for one another? Let our prayers this week be thankful. Maybe get the membership booklet and pray through that booklet, and many of you already do. And as you do, let, be, let, let us be thankful for one another. And let's ask ourselves these questions at the bottom. Is our primary focus for one another to help each other grow in a love for Christ? And therefore, what could I do to encourage this in someone today? Can you imagine the difference it would make if every one of us walked through the doors 
of Long Crendon Baptist Church every Sunday. And the question that is on our mind and on our lips is, Lord, just lead me to one person today who I can encourage in their faith. And right, if we're all doing that, the idea is that we'll all leave here encouraged in our faith. Uh, and yet there's something beautifully simple about it, isn't there? Having a concern for each other, which is expressed in desiring to see growth in godliness in us all. See, Paul has, a, or displays to us this selfless identity, not bound up in what he does or what he did or will do, but bound up in who Jesus is. He displays this incredible selfless concern for this church. He had every reason to be concerned for self and his own personal situation. Yet this whole letter is an outflow of love for them, wanting to see them grow. And then what's the natural logical flow from that? Well, we see a selfless focus. See, what is focus? Focus is a... Um, a sustained attention, isn't it? When you're driving, you're focused on the road and on hazards to keep you safe. It's sustained attention. When you're working hard for an exam at school, sustained attention. Well, look at Paul's incredible selfless focus. Verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It's amazing, isn't it? Paul's not primarily concerned with his circumstance he's concerned with what god does through his circumstance i'm thinking of verses like um in you know in genesis chapter 50 the sort of culmination of the story of joseph what man intended for evil god has turned around for good can you think of an example in your life where god showed up unexpectedly in a situation you didn't really want to be in But it helped to serve the gospel. And in the moment you were saying, Lord, I don't want to be here and I don't know why you put me here. And yet later you look back and go, Lord, thank you that I was there. Because some good has come from this gospel goods. I've grown, perhaps. You've grown. The person I served has grown. And that's what we see here. It's astonishing, isn't it, that Paul doesn't really care about his circumstance. What he cares about is that through his circumstance, people hear the name of Jesus. Selfless focus. And then more than that, verse 13, I love this. There's a sort of energy with Paul, a, a completely self-effacing energy. He then says, and as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Now, the palace guard there could refer to a group of soldiers who are stationed in Philippi. Philippi was also known to be a place where retired soldiers went to live. It could equally be a reference to the Praetorian Guard, a kind of special unit of 9,000 soldiers who were there to protect the emperor. We don't really know. But the point is, Paul's saying, hey, I may be in prison, but guess what? By being in prison, the gospel has gone forth. And isn't it wonderful? Because I'm surrounded by loads of pagan soldiers. They haven't got a chance of not hearing the gospel. And he talks about being, verse 13, being chained for Christ. You imagine if you were that pagan Roman soldier... You probably weren't paid very much. You probably hated your job, but it put bread on the table. And you were chained to the Apostle Paul, or rather he was chained to you. And you were in some dark, dungy, uh, dingy dungeon. You wouldn't have wanted to be there. But if you were that pagan soldier, you wouldn't have wanted to be there when you realized who you were chained to. Because I suspect Paul never shut up. <laughs> Perhaps the soldier would have said, you know what, I'll just, I'll just release you if you just shut up. I don't want to hear about this man Jesus. He had no chance. To not hear about Jesus. Why? Because Paul was in chain for Christ. I 
Think about the places where you work, maybe the family in which you live, uh, the social places where you spend time. Do the people who don't know Christ in these arenas, do they have any chance of not hearing the gospel when you're there? Because if we have this selfless identity that Paul had and a selfless concern for others like Paul had and a selfless focus like Paul had, people in our workplace and in our leisure places and our families won't not be able to hear of Jesus because it will just flow from us in action, in words. And notice the second thing. It's not just lost people who don't know Christ who hear about Christ through this selfless focus. But verse 14, Paul's energy just keeps bubbling along. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So friends, there are two reasons why we need to be bold in our witness. Number one, because if we're bold in our witness, more people who don't know Christ will come to hear of him. Second reason to be bold in our witness you will inspire other people to be bold in their witness. There's something infectious, isn't there, about a person who just doesn't care what people think, but just speaks of Christ with joy, with grace. There's a natural energy that comes with an evangelist. And the more that we all do this and push ourselves out of our comfort zones, the more we'll spur one another on to do this. And this is exactly what Paul is doing. And then the culmination of this selfless focus comes in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See that little phrase in verse 20, Christ will be exalted in my body. Uh, you could literally translate that, that Christ may be enlarged in my body. Uh, there was once a little boy at Sunday school, and his Sunday school teacher said, if you put your trust in Jesus, then God by his spirit comes to live in you. And the little boy said, but I'm just a little boy, and God's very big. So if he comes and lives in me, when he stick out a bit? And isn't that exactly the point? When Christ comes to live in little you and little me, when he's alive in us, he will be enlarged in us. He will flow out of us. And that's what Paul's prayer is. The more that we make of Christ, the more that Christ will just flood and flow out of who we are. So a little challenge for you to reflect on. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. That's what Paul says. What do you say? How would you complete that sentence? For me to live is. Hard, isn't it? What's the purpose of our life? What gets you up in the morning? What gets you excited? What do you get most moved by? Let's pray for each other. That as our identity becomes more and more rooted in Christ and what he's done for us that we would have increasingly this selfless concern for each other, that we might grow to know him better, and therefore together have this selfless focus, not on the things of this world, but on the things of Christ. Because what happens with a selfless identity that leads to selfless concern for others, that leads to a selfless focus? A selfless life, isn't it? And the wonderful selfless life that is shown by Paul. Do you see there as we come to a close, verse 27? 
Whatever happens, Paul says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that word there, whatever, is a very strong word. Whatever happens, whether tomorrow morning is a good day or a bad day, whether tomorrow is a day that you want to live or a day that you'd rather not live, whether your circumstance is one that gives you great joy or great heartache, whatever happens, make sure you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That would be like a a wonderful kind of strap line, wouldn't it, for the Christian life? Whatever happens in life, friends, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as serving the Lord, not man. And it's wonderful then because it doesn't matter what we do, does it? It doesn't matter if I'm a politician or a doctor or if I'm retired or I'm a stay-at-home husband or wife. It doesn't matter if I think I'm a success or I think I'm a failure. It doesn't matter if I think I'm somebody or I think I'm a nobody. I am someone because of what Christ has done for me. And therefore, in whatever situation we live in, whatever Monday morning looks like for us, Paul says, don't worry about what you're doing. Just worry about in what you do, whatever you do, just conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Where will you be at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning? Everyone just think about that. What will you be doing? Wonderfully, we'll all be doing different things. God knows where we'll be. What matters at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning is not where we are and not what we're doing. What matters is in that moment, are we conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? And just think about the gospel of Christ. Think about the cross of Christ. Wasn't the cross of Christ just the most perfect example of selflessness? Jesus, who gave up the glory of heaven to die on a cross that you can be given an identity not one that you earn but one that is given as a gift for it is by grace you have been saved through faith not by works so that no one can boast the cross of Christ gives us identity because Jesus was so selfless on the cross think about the cross of Christ such an incredible selfless concern for others when cross was on when jesus was on the cross he was thinking of you he was thinking of me he wasn't thinking of himself selfless concern selfless focus that led him in the garden of gethsemane to cry not my will but yours be done all those wonderful words that you read repeatedly through the book of luke jesus set his face towards jerusalem You read it many, many times. Why? Because that's his focus. That's where he's going. Cross. And isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ such a perfect example of the selfless life? The Son of Man. God in his glory who came to earth in the person of Jesus. The Son of Man didn't come to be served. But to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We started at the beginning by thinking about just how beautiful the selfless life is. That person that you think of who's a great example to you of selflessness. It's beautiful, isn't it? And friends, we will be selfless when we keep our eyes fixed on our selfless saviour. The one who gave up everything for us. Who died. Who rose again and gives us his spirit. That what he has begun, that good work that he's begun that our love for Christ would abound more and more 
that that work that's begun would one day be complete. As one person once quipped, I thank God that I, I sorry, I'm trying to remember. I thank God I, I am not, I'm not what I will be, they said. I'm not what I will be, and I'm not what I want, and I, I'm not what I want to be. But I thank God that I'm not what I, sorry, I'm just trying to work out what's the phrase. Someone help me out, you've heard it before. I'm not what I want to be, and I'm not what I used to be, but I thank God that I want, I will be, I, <laughs> tongue twister, you know what I mean. It's a phrase that came to me, but I can't remember it. I'm exhausted. Anyway, what he's saying is, I've been changed by Christ, and I continue to be changed by Christ, and one day I'll be made perfect. Isn't that a wonderful truth? So with that in mind, let's pray together. Father, as we have come to this wonderful book of Philippians, I thank you for the extraordinary energy with which Paul writes this incredible concern for others. Thank you for his selfless identity bound up in who Christ is. Thank you for his selfless concern, longing to see growth in others. Thank you for his selfless focus, that focus of wanting to proclaim Christ to those who don't yet know him. And thank you for his selfless life. And Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ who gave up everything for us, that great gift of life that he won for us on the cross. And we pray this week that whatever we're doing on Monday morning at 11 o'clock, we would, by the grace of God, conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Please help us in our weakness. Please inspire us with your example and please change our hearts that we might be effective disciples as we seek to serve you this week. Amen.